You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Today's episode of Paranormal Pets is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audiblepodcast.com forward slash paranormal pets. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. It's 11 o'clock at night. It's dark. You're sitting in front of the mirror getting ready for bed. There's nobody else in the house. You see something move in the corner of your eye. You glance to your right, but you don't see anything. Another minute goes by, and you think you see movement again. So you slowly turn to your left, but again, the room is empty. You turn back around, and staring you face to face in the mirror is a cat. You jump back, because you don't have a cat, and there's no cat in the room. But there he is, staring at you in the mirror. Welcome to Paranormal Pets, where you can always expect the unexpected. Each week, we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters, ghosts, totems, psychic animals, animal souls, animal angels, and animals in religion, with a little cryptozoology thrown in. Now, step into the supernatural world of pets with your Paranormal Pets ghostly host, our ghost host. Hello and welcome to Paranormal Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. I am your host, Dr. Brandy Stark, and uh, for this particular episode, I do have an article to read to you about chimps and awareness of others' deaths, and then I thought that uh, we might take a look at four books dealing with ghost pets and maybe do a little bit of a brief overview and review of them. So, uh, without any further ado, I'm actually going to pause right here for these commercial messages. for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Hey boy, how you doing? <coughs> what am I doing? <coughs> I'm creating your own life book. It's a website that's just for you. Remember that picture I took of you pulling off Lisa's bathing suit? <coughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. I'm putting that awesome picture on your Lifebook page. We'll see what comments we get. And that great video we took of you standing on the table with your head inside the turkey? That's definitely going on there. <coughs> no, it's easy. It only took me two minutes to set up your page. I chose a great theme, and I can connect with millions of other pet parents. I can also create a memorial Lifebook. <coughs> no, not for Grandma. But we can make one for Fluffy, remember her? And we can even put links to our favorite pet charity. And friends can make donations. People can create their own life book for their pets by going to PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com Or they can sign up on the Pet Life Radio homepage. <coughs> Where's Lisa? She's outside by the pool. Hey, come back here! <coughs> create your own life book for your pet. PetLifeRadio.LivingYearsPets.com Hi, and welcome to The Family Pet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Colleen Safford. Each week, we'll focus on different topics, child pet 
safety, child pet training, just how to make an appropriate pet selection for your family. All of these things will be covered in each one of our episodes. So we hope that you will join us at The Family Pet on Pet Life Radio. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And welcome back to Paranormal Pets. Today's article comes from Science News, magazine of the Society for Science and the Public. This is actually volume 177, number 11, and I have found this on sciencenews.org. The article is by Bruce Bauer, and the article is entitled, Chimps May Be Aware of Others' Deaths, Captive and Wild Apes React in Intriguing Ways to Losing Comrades. So, and it it does have, by the way, a, a video component as well, which you can see through this link. The article itself reads as such. Pansy the chimpanzee died surrounded by friends and family who cared for her as best they could and reacted to her demise with a silent soberness. Pansy's story, as well as those of two mothers unable to let go of their deceased infants, raises the possibility that chimpanzees know when a companion has died and realize that he or she will never return. Two current studies report in the April 27th edition of Current Biology. Chimpanzees may have a greater awareness of the finality of death than had previously been believed, says psychologist James Anderson of the University of Stirling in Scotland, who directed the study of Pansy's death. Pansy's case provides the first glimpse of Chimp's response to a companion's natural death, Anderson says. Two video cameras in an indoor enclosure at the safari park recorded what happened before and after Pansy's death on December 7, 2008. In the days before Pansy's demise, three adult chimps, including her daughter, groomed her regularly. Grooming increased as Pansy's breathing became labored in the ten minutes preceding death. A male chimp stood over Pansy's lifeless body and pulled at her left arm and then tried to open her mouth. He jumped on the platform where Pansy lay and charged in an aggressive display. After pounding on Pansy's body, he ran off. The next day, the three chimps watched silently as keepers removed Pansy's body. None of them slept on Pansy's deathbed for five days. For several weeks, survivors did little and ate less than usual. These incidents strengthen the inferences that apes have some sort of conception of death, says chimp researcher William McGraw of the University of Cambridge in England. Primatologist Franz D. Wall of Emory University in Atlanta has seen similar reactions to companions' death in captive chimp colonies and calls Anderson's report completely believable. Anderson says it may be more humane to allow elderly apes to die among companions in research facilities and zoos rather than isolating them for treatment or euthanasia. And the wild chimps' reactions to dead comrades or infants vary greatly from one individual to another, much as in people, comments Elizabeth Lonsdorf of Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Old and sick chimps often find sheltered spots to die alone or get taken by predators with the group resuming its daily foraging. We don't know yet if chimps can grieve for the loss of a group member, Lonsdorf remarks. Uncertainty also surrounds the intentions of two female chimps that literally wouldn't let go of their infants that died of infections in 2003, As described in another study, these chips inhabited forests surrounding Bosso, Guinea. One female, the mother of several other chimps, carried her one-year-old on her back while foraging for 68 days. The other female, a first-time mother, carried her two-year-old in the same way for 19 days. Then the bodies were abandoned. 
In both instances, tropical weather dried and preserved the corpses in a natural mummification process. Mothers groomed infants' bodies and took them into their day and night nests. Over time, mothers increasingly let other group members, including youngsters, handle and play with the bodies. Zoologist Dora Biro of the University of Oxford in England, who led the study, is cautious about interpreting the behavior as reflecting an awareness of death. These mothers understand that there was something unusual about their infants, but whether for them that indicated that the infants would never come back to life remains a fascinating open question, Biro said. A member of Biro's team observed another Brousseau chimp curing her dead infant for several weeks in 1992. Eight mothers' refusals to let go of dead infants makes evolutionary sense, DeWall says. Close emotional ties to one's youngster prevents chimp mothers from prematurely abandoning sick and near-dead infants, in his view. Chimpanzees may know something of someone else's mortality, but we have no way of knowing whether they understand their own mortality, DeWall remarks. Now, I find this article rather fascinating, particularly because I had initially read it in the uh, an abbreviated version, anyway, in the TBT, which is a, a kind of a tabloid edition of the St. Petersburg Times. But I do find this rather fascinating because it does show, as we have presented in this particular uh, program in prior episodes, that animals may have some sort of conception of death and dying, uh, and that their conceptions may be as advanced as humans, at least to a certain degree, or at least human-like. It does also lead, in my opinion, to greater self-awareness, which might actually indicate that animal minds could survive post-death trauma to perhaps create phantasms. I don't know. But I hope they continue to study this, particularly as this might produce more humane results for uh, death and dying within the animal world. For the ghost book section of this particular episode, uh, the four books that I have are Pet Ghosts, Animal Encounters from Beyond the Grave by Joshua P. Warren, Doggone Ghost Stories, 13 Hair-Raising Tales of Unearthly Dogs by Karen K. Zweifel, True Ghost Stories, Haunted Animals by Alan Zullo, and Ghost Dogs of the South by Randy Russell and Janet Barnett. These books uh, seem to have a few things in common. Uh, I do note that a lot of dog ghost stories are still appearing, and of course this goes very nicely with my dogs and death theory. But uh, I thought what I would do is perhaps start off with the most recently read book, which is Haunted Animals by Alan Zullo. Now this book is produced by Scholastic, which indicates that it's probably for perhaps a teenager or pre-teen, a tween audience. I would guess maybe the ages of uh, 9 to 13, but do note I don't have children, so I could be completely off. The book itself was published in 1995, and I do find that rather interesting because in the opening, it does say, some kids claim they have seen ghosts. In most cases, according to investigators, these hauntings involve the spirit of a dead person. But every once in a while, a kid reports that the ghost he or she saw was different because the phantom was an animal. Haunted Animals is a spooky collection of stories about kids who claim to have encountered spirits from the animal world, including pet dogs, a loving cat, a wild horse, and a vengeful wolf. You'll read nine spine-tingling tales, inspired in part by the accounts of those who say they were haunted. The names and places in the stories have been changed to protect everyone's privacy. Can animals really be ghosts? You might think so after reading the eerie stories in this book. Now, considering the fact that the book was actually produced in 1995, this does indicate to me that it is perhaps one of the earlier books of animal ghosts that was actually compiled. 
And of course, it does appear, uh, based on Alan Zello's website, which I did find online, that uh, he has an open call out for stories. Unfortunately, on his website, uh, I did try to contact the author via the contact button, and all emails were bounced back, which is a shame because I would have liked to have interviewed him and and maybe talked to him a little bit about why he put the book together and you know why he chose really a teenage audience. His list of books is actually quite impressive. He has composed quite a number of stories, uh, several of them based upon ghosts themselves. So it's it's actually pretty decent book overall, in my opinion. I do like the fact that this particular book, unlike uh, at least two others that I have, uh, does not deal exclusively with dogs. There are occasional mixes of animals. There's at least one wolf story, a horse story, and a cat story, which I do find rather interesting. So at least a third of the book is something other than the standard dog story. I will warn you that I personally am a huge, huge softy when it comes to animals. And unfortunately, whenever you have animal ghosts, it means that you have to have the animal die at some point. And these stories most certainly do go into how the animals die. For the most part, it's uh, relatively humane. Most of the animals seem to die of natural causes. But there is a, a story or two in there that the animals killed for other reasons. And so I will warn you of that. I usually do read these books when I'm home and by myself, primarily because there is invariably one or two stories in here that do cause me to tear up, particularly because a couple of the animals died due to surgeries or having to be put to sleep due to cancer. And of course, those are always sensitive topics. And then when you deal with a child or a teenager who is also undergoing this process, I don't know. It's just very touching. One of my favorite stories in here, uh, I did like the fact that, again, they had the story of the horse, Alabaster, uh, who was actually from 1800. Uh, Some of these ghost stories were rather unique because the animals actually had no relation to the human that they haunted. A couple of ghost stories, in fact, uh, the animals died 100 years prior and, you know, had these encounters and ultimately saved the lives of at least two children. There were two stories that fell into this group. Uh, And I thought that was quite good. I have found that a lot of stories tend to hit that same cycle over and over again, where it's a person's pet who's died, and hence the interaction. And of course, the emotional bond would make sense. But on occasion, it's interesting to see that there are older haunts, and that these animals apparently have managed to maintain a sense of cohesive unity of self you know, for this time period. Another story that uh, I certainly did like, there are several stories that talk about animals who love their owners so much that they return from the grave for them to protect them. Perhaps one of the the biggest tearjerkers was a story called Bingo's Secret, which uh, in summary, there was a young boy who died and his dog was so loyal to him that essentially he died of grief. And uh, the parents did not believe that they could bury the dog with the boy, and so they buried the dog in the backyard, and they were actually haunted by his howling spirit for a time until at last they dug up the dog's body and they they kind of snuck it into the cemetery and buried him next to his boy and uh, the haunting stopped Uh, stories like that oh they're always a little chilling to me particularly because you know the young boy died of I believe leukemia but the dog was just so loyal and the family did really try to save him and there there just isn't a lot that you can do in those sorts of cases so overall even though the book is fairly old and it does deal with teenagers, 
Uh, for the age group and for the interest in animals, and, and because you even have a revenge story in here of a dog that, while not really abused, was not taken care of to the best of their owner's abilities, you know, I would say that at least it does promote the value of uh, human-animal friendship, human responsibility to their pets, and, and how much some of these young adults or young people really cared for their animals. So I would actually recommend the book. It's easy to read. I mean, obviously, as an adult, uh, I think I read through this in about an hour or so, weeping through some of the stories as I went. But I guess it doesn't matter if you're a child or an adult. You can still feel that. But uh, overall, I thought it was a, a really pretty decent book. As I said, it does at least offer a little bit of ghostly variety. Now, what I'd like to do at this point is to go ahead and pause for a couple of commercial messages. And then when we come back, we will address uh, the last three books. So we will be right back after these messages. Now, time for something really scary. A word from our sponsors. Paranormal pets will reappear before you can say Bigfoot. Don't run away. Hey, love to read, but just never seem to have enough time to sit in one place long enough? For all of us on-the-go people, Audible has the answer. Best-selling audiobooks for your iPod or MP3 player. For Pet Life Radio listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. Choose from hundreds of today's bestsellers, including awesome pet books, such as Bad Dogs Have More Fun by Marley and Me author John Grogan, Love That Cat by Ingrid Newkirk, It's Okay to Miss the Bed on the First Jump, and Other Life Lessons I Learned from Dogs by Seinfeld's John O'Hurley, and many, many more. To download your free audiobook today, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash paranormal pets. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com forward slash paranormal pets. It's time for school for you and your friends, your furry best friends. Train your dog the fun and easy way with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Teacher's Pet host Pia Silvani teaches you step-by-step how to train your dog the fun and easy way. You get eight 30-minute live audio training sessions, complete transcripts of each session, plus a basic training manual to get you and your dog off to a great start. Training begins the moment you bring your dog home. Teacher's Pet Sessions offers positive reinforcement training to shape your dog's behavior and encourages upbeat, enthusiastic responses to ensure that your dog will enjoy learning. Teacher's Pet Sessions dog training is fun at both ends of the leash. So listen, learn, and laugh with your dog with Teacher's Pet Sessions. Get your copy of Teacher's Pet Sessions Volume 1 today. To order, go to TeachersPetSessions.com. Hi, this is Pia Salvani, your host. Bring your dog, tug toy, and treats, and get ready to have some fun. TeachersPetSessions.com Hello! I'm Deborah Wolf, and I'm inviting you to my animal party on Pet Life Radio. The dress code? Come as you are. Pajamas, a tux, 
you can even go naked like your pets. Unleash your party animal at my animal party. Guess you know from Animal Planet, TV, radio, the news, and bookstores will be joining me. And that's because after I won Best Pet Radio in America from the DWAA, I got my paw in the door and I met a lot of amazing people. And the best of the best are going to be coming to the party. They're coming to party with us. So join us at the animal party. Don't miss the party. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Did you hear that? Our commercials have mysteriously disappeared. Paranormal Pets is back with our haunted host, our ghost host. And welcome back. So as we continue to review these potential resources for folks who are interested in animal ghosts, I thought the next story that I would go to, uh, the second oldest book that I read, was Ghost Dogs of the South by Randy Russell and Janet Barnett. I was actually hoping that the author would be on the show, and hopefully we can set that up for a future uh, edition. The back cover of the book actually reads as such, Digging through the rich fields of Southern folklore, award-winning husband and wife authors Randy Russell and Janet Barnett have discovered that dogs' devotion does not always end at the grave. Do dogs return from the other side to comfort and aid their human companions? You bet your buried bones they do. Now, I did do a little research on Randy Russell and Janet Barnett, and it does appear that, in particular, Randy Russell has been associated with higher education, teaching about folklore, and that, uh, actually, the husband and wife team have written at least three other books. As such, I think it's a fairly valuable resource. I would tend to believe, you know, kind of the academic ideal, hopefully, uh, would help them to narrow down truly the most fascinating of the dog folklore. Now, I did find it most interesting because this book does have a multiple series of points of view. Unlike other ghost books in which it's always kind of an objective narrative, uh, the authors here move around a little bit. One story actually comes from the point of view of a living dog who is a, uh, I believe, a golden retriever, if memory serves. She and her owners, a young couple, come across a headless ghost in the middle of the forest. And of course, in the realm of folklore, uh, they don't go running and screaming away because the ghost speaks to them and explains his predicament that his body cannot is buried missing the head and because he is missing the head or the skull at this point he cannot rest and it's interesting because he ends up taking a liking to the dog uh, and the dog takes a liking to him and that is most unusual because normally when you read stories it's always the dog reacting badly to the ghost and ultimately he does find peace. The skull is eventually found. But the interesting thing is that the story kind of comes from the point of view of the dog who helps to find the skull and, you know, kind of comments on the ghost on and off throughout the story. And actually at the end, the ghost says, you know, little collie, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And because this dog loves to play fetch, <laughs> he never should have said that apparently. Uh, so, you know, apparently he, he is not going to find his rest for a little while because because she wants him to continue to throw the ball. You know, stories like that make this very interesting. And again, it's just one somewhat summarized story for you, but this book actually is quite thick. It does manage to present 
I would say a good two dozen stories. It's 287 pages. It does have some illustrations or at least some pictures in here that were chosen. They're interesting pictures. They're not necessarily ghostly pictures. And titles include things like Watchdog, A Dog's Wish, Buddy, Granny Dollar, Butterfly Dog, Barking Creek, The Silver Locket, The Open Door, Trick or Treat, Jameson's Bell, The Missing Tree, Rose Perfume, Wood and Sea, Devil Dog, Pepper, Big Pigeon, Moss Dog, The Whirlpool, Elf House, Belly Dog, and so on. So ultimately, I think this book is, is actually a pretty decent one. Because these are folkloric stories, uh, folklore usually has a slightly different connotation than ghost story. Folklore oftentimes has kind of a historic word-of-mouth element to it. And in fact, one of these stories is really gives you some good insight to collecting folkloric stories. They actually uh, kind of present one of the ghost stories as an interview between an old mountain woman and a folktale gatherer, you know, a scholar. So the only aspect of this that, that gets to be a little distressing is that it is, it is a series of emitted folk tales. But the interesting thing is that when you start looking through folk stories and folklore and even the modern-day component of urban legends, oftentimes there's a seed of truth to them. So I do recommend the book. I think that Again, you can find enough value in it. Uh, the introduction is actually quite well written and gives quite a bit of information that I personally find quite helpful and, and enlightening as to the role that folklore plays and actually some of the folkloric elements. You actually get a free story or two even in the introduction. So, Ghost Dogs of the South by Randy Russell and Janet Barnett. Definitely worth it. Uh, this was published in 2001. So, the next book that I have is actually Pet Ghosts, Animal Encounters from Beyond the Grave by Joshua P. Warren. Now, it does actually say on the cover that uh, he is the author of How to Hunt Ghosts. The back cover says, Is Your Pet Really Dead? Paranormal investigator Joshua Warren thought his dash hound was, but for weeks after her death, he still heard her shrill, desperate whining haunting his home. Using an array of high-tech equipment, he searched for her presence. What he found led him on a search for ghostly animals throughout history. From known creatures to unknown, ancient to modern, antidotes to scientific theory, in text and pictures, Pet Ghost is a comprehensive look at how animal spirits relate to humans for better or worse, and how you can document them on your own. Also included in Pet Ghosts, interviews with animal experts such as authors Brad Steger and Nick Redfern and cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, simple tools and techniques to find and record your pet spirits, and tips on how to contact your deceased pet. Now, I did do some research on the author, and it does give a little bio on the back. Joshua P. Warren is a world-renowned paranormal investigator who currently appears on the Discovery Channel and hosts a regional radio show, Speaking of Strange. He has been regularly featured on Coast to Coast AM, TLC, the Travel Channel, and the History Channel. As president of his research team, Lemur, he has been covered by periodicals such as Fate, the New York Times, and FHM. Uh, I did find his website online, and he actually has quite an array of interests that certainly vary from just standard paranormal investigation. It does appear also to cover Bigfoot, cryptozoology, and actually a whole host of things 
that uh, I admittedly do not really specialize in. Now, the book itself, I have to say I, I was a little disappointed with it because I felt like the author was really recycling a lot of information from How to Hunt Ghosts. Basically, in How to Document Ghosts, and particularly pet ghosts, it's the same exact way that you would document a regular paranormal investigation. Perhaps the only real difference that this author illustrates is that he does use a strobe light, which admittedly I, I don't know if I necessarily endorse, but there are teams that do use them. There is a chapter on the history of spectral animals. Uh, I found it a little hard to follow because it jumped from folklore to historic mythology, etc. I think that the author could actually perhaps pull some of these topics together and perhaps actually have a whole new book just based on chapter one. Uh, we do know that animal ghost stories go back throughout time, absolutely, and I think it would be a rather fascinating research project. I will say that by the time we get to a personal experience with pets, that chapter was actually very good. I enjoyed that. He does have a series of ghost stories that go from horses to, you know, the standard dogs and cats. And my personal favorite was a bird, and that was a revenge story. And there are not that many animal revenge stories, because for the most part, animals are pretty forgiving. The story was actually rather depressing, though, because the whole point, the bird kind of went insane because his owner, who got him as a companion, fell in love with the young woman who, while she was trying to be nice to the bird, certainly occupied this gentleman's time quite a bit and possibly inadvertently killed the bird. So, you know, that part of the story was a little bit hard, but... You know, for weeks afterwards, you know, they would hear the bird individually and together calling to them. And eventually the bird, uh, who used to actually introduce the two of them, you know, Rick and Pam or whoever they were, started saying Pam and some other man's name. And it turns out that uh, his beloved fiance, well, might not have been as faithful as she was. I mean, stories like that are just absolutely fascinating and certainly worth reading. So... There is some value here. He does talk about documenting your pet's spirit. And again, uh, you can pretty much find that through any form of paranormal investigation. He does go into cryptozoology. The big three, of course, Bigfoot, Mothman, you know, the, the standard crypto characters that we're always very interested in. Some of these stories were quite interesting but I would not necessarily classify them as a pet ghost. Uh, that does tend to move into cryptozoology and away from our standard ghost story. Uh, and then he actually has a rather interesting conclusion to his book. So overall, uh, it's a, a rather unique book. It has some valuable elements to it. I do wish that it was organized slightly differently. Uh, I believe that it would have been easier to read. And I believe that some of the cryptozoological elements perhaps should have either tied in a little bit more or perhaps been pulled completely from the book and put into separate books on their own. You know, they do relate to a certain degree, but not as cohesively as I would like them to. Uh, the last book for this episode is Doggone Ghost Stories, 13 Hair-Raising Tales of Unearthly Dogs by Carolyn K. Zweifel. And uh, this is actually one of the first books that I had 
which I find very interesting. And of course, I love the fact that on her cover, she quotes, Outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read by Groucho Marx, who can't love him, right? And then, of course, she adds her own, unless it's a ghost dog. Uh, Meet Firehouse Annie, the courageous Dalmatian who won the hearts of gratitude in countless generations in her town. In life, she raced flat out to burning buildings and risked her own life to save others. In death, the ever-faithful Annie still races through the streets and towns and continues to save lives by giving advance warning of impending disaster. You don't want to meet the two-headed dog who patrols River Road in the dead of night. His four fiercely glowing red eyes, wicked-looking incisors, and hot breath are guaranteed to scare wayward husbands and boyfriends to death. Then there's a dog who lost his head in a mortal battle to save his master from a brutal attack one night long ago. Still eager for human companionship, he playfully waits for anyone foolish enough to be out late near Tug Fork. One look at him will turn your hair white. And ten more dead but not gone canines who will tug your emotions and either warm your heart or chill your bones. Told by master storyteller Karen K. Zweifel, you won't be able to put this book down. This particular book, copyright 1996, so right around the time period, uh, and it has hit a second edition in 1997. Once again, a kind of an interesting series of stories uh, involving dogs. Doggone ghost stories. It appears to be mostly folklore. (laughs) And the story that really kind of struck me as showing a rather different style, the author has a very clever way of starting one story And as it continues on, actually intertwining it with multiple sightings of the same dog ghost. And of course, one of the the scariest, in my opinion, was the headless dog of uh, Tuck Fork. That's the first story in here. But very interesting how this dog story apparently was adapted uh, with permission. But how she so cleverly wove it together. Uh, There's a story of a peddler and his dog who are walking along. And uh, in between, you know, a couple of events with them, you get stories of this very, very scary, admittedly, ghost. One that I would never want to see. A large kind of blue-black dog, very powerfully built, but missing its head, and instead you see the open, gaping wound where the head should be. Uh, and this thing apparently chases you. That, you might keep me awake at night. But the stories actually really vary. They are very cleverly done. Definitely worth a read if you have the opportunity and you can still find this book. Yeah, I would recommend perhaps Amazon or Half.com or anywhere that you're going to find a good used ghost story. So with that, I think we have managed to review all four books, maybe giving you all a little bit of food for thought on stories and some new ideas to look for. The one thing I can say is, for those of you who like ghost stories and you like to stay up late reading these, I think a few of them will keep you awake at night. I'm just delighted that I have my pugs with me, and hopefully they still act as protectors against any form of nasty spectral animal out there. And actually, a few of them, I might not mind if they visited me post-life. We'll see. So, ultimately, I hope you all found that rather useful. 
If you would like to see more reviews, the Spirits of St. Petersburg site regularly reviews events and TV shows, movies, and books, anything else we could find. You're welcome to check that out on www.spiritsofstpetersburg.com or just Google Spirits of St. Petersburg. And uh, ultimately, as always, I remind you to support your local animal rescues. Remember that there are many, many, many needy animals out there. And the more that you can help, the better. And also, I would ask, if you would, to please keep the Florida coastline in your thoughts. We are currently dealing with the BP oil crisis in the Gulf. And while it has not reached Tampa Bay in particular, it has caused quite a bit of damage along the Gulf Coast. And, of course, wildlife is is almost always most heavily impacted. If you would like to help with that effort, I would suggest that you look up. There are several websites, several newspapers that published things that can be donated to help the cleanup effort, which include things like T-shirts, pet hair, interestingly enough, and even human hair. And uh, I do believe that uh, after my last haircut, some of my own hair (laughs) actually did go to help with that cleanup effort. So otherwise, we will end our episode here, and I will wish you a happy haunting. Take care. Pet Life Radio presents paranormal pets where you can always expect the unexpected each week we'll discuss all aspects of weird or spiritual animal encounters ghosts totems psychic animals animal souls animal angels and animals in religion with a little cryptozoology thrown in step into the supernatural world of pets every week on demand only on petliferadio.com <laughs>